You're listening to News Radio KMAN. Now back to the game with Mitch Fortner, David G, and Troy Coverdale. Hour two of the game at News Radio KMAN. Troy Coverdale. Travion Berkland is at the controls. Mitch Fortner is online with us from Topeka, where he's getting ready for high school basketball coverage tonight. Manhattan High taking on Washburn Rule in Centennial League play. What do you think, Mitch? Going to be on time, or <laughs> is this thing going to be uh, a little uh, going to be a little hairy in terms of uh, in terms of how quickly you need to be on tonight? Oh, we're, we're we're at halftime right now of the of the JV game, okay. so I all feel right. like we'll be we'll be on time. Okay, all right. So, what's on your mind today, my friend? Uh, well, I was listening to you guys on the uh, on the drive into Topeka, which, by the way, I want to say I was getting that reception pretty close to Washburn Rural High School. It started to really fizzle out uh, about five miles away. But I I just want to say, am I crazy to say that I've never seen Fletch? Yes, you're crazy to say that you've never seen Fletch. Lindsay, we've gone over, me and her, we've gone over movies we've seen and what we haven't seen. We've both given the reactions. Oh, my God, you've never seen Goodfellas, which she hasn't. Okay. But I, 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 I'm guilty of never seeing Fletch, and she, she lets me hear it all the time. And we've always made plans like, all right, we're going to watch it. We're going to watch it tonight. Haven't done it yet. Uh, granted, you know, you have to remember that I grew up in that time frame. You didn't, okay? So I can I can give you a little bit of leeway there. You didn't grow up in the 80s where Chevy Chase was actually a big money star in movies when you start to factor in what he was doing. Because Fletch and, and Fletch Lives both were boffo at the box office. I was alive for Christmas, or a, I'm sorry, Vegas vacation. That's about it that I can think of that was a real hitter for uh, not a misser for uh, for Chevy Chase. Even though I'm sure IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes doesn't feel good about Vegas Vacation, I'm all about Vegas Vacation. I think that they're probably all right with Vegas Vacation. It's probably the Christmas Vacation 2 that they didn't really like. <laughs> there's, there's a second one? Uh, yeah, it went straight to uh, straight to DVD. And it only and stars never heard of Quaid. It. Yeah, uh, what's that? <laughs> and it only stars Randy Quaid. Yeah, yeah. It was, from everything I hear, it's just total, total trash. So, but that's because someone decided they had to try to cash in on, on the tradition. I mean, along those same lines as Ed Helms's flick, uh, that was, va- him as Rusty doing the family vacation themselves. That didn't exactly pan out for a real good flick either. Eh, I didn't think it was that bad on second watch. It was a little bit better, but it's, yeah, it's still a little bit rough. The the van being too gimmicky, I thought was a little over the top. We don't need cars going in, you know, chairs spinning as we're driving down the road. I didn't think that was much. (laughs) However, the, the, we finally, we, we got something that we've never had in a vacation movie. It was like a rivalry between the actual kids. Rusty and, uh, Audrey, uh, Audrey, Jesus, those two never really had it out for each other. In the Ed Helms vacation movie, they did. 
No, that's a great point. European vacation, Audrey had her opportunity to try to do something, but let Rusty off the hook. Well, she was too obsessed with Johnny Lawrence back in America. That's so. I, that's a valid point. Meanwhile, Rusty was enjoying, you know, Oktoberfest. But that's another matter altogether. <laughs> so you haven't seen Fletch either of the Fletch movies? No, no, yeah. I haven't. I will someday. I, you know, it's on my list. There, there are so many lines that you know, not not along the lines of Mel Brooks movies where you can just automatically start throwing quotes out. But there's a few in there. There's a few in there that uh, that that are notable that you can be splashing around with. Specifically, I, I you know, you can't help but not like uh, six 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 nine with the afro. I mean, that that's the one that most of us know. You know, ever since I took over as sports director, my uh, my timeline or my time uh, limit of getting movies in that I haven't seen yet. I actually I did watch uh, this morning. Have you ever watched um, the Donald Sutherland, Donald Sutherland version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers? No, I caught that. It's a great movie, and I caught it on HBO this morning, and it really distracted me. I should have been at the station an hour and a half earlier than I was today. Uh, but when Invasion of the Body Snatchers is on HBO, you kind of just stop what you're doing and watch. It's 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 a great movie. This this is one of the reasons why the TV doesn't get turned on in the morning when I get up. Because, yeah, they're, they're, I don't need that distraction on top of everything else at 4.30. Well, I need the noise. I, I don't like a quiet home. No, and, and so that's why there's usually along the lines of either news or music streaming on, on my phone while I'm in the shower. But, you know, if, if I We don't to, need to know what Troy does in the, or has no, going on in the shower. No, we, you I'm, know. I'm, just, I'm just talking in terms of having the noise. Because there's no way I turn on the TV, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to want to watch Sports Center or get sucked into something else. Can't afford to do that at 4.30. Get up earlier. Oh, God, no. Oh, well, all right. 4.30. You, you live life the way you want to. Yeah, you're the one who makes fun of me for going to bed at 8. Well, yeah, when there's a K-State <laughs> game on. <laughs> Hey, listen, I have a job to do, and I have to be here. Anyway, that said. Well, so do I, and it took me two hours to figure out this Mitch Palm. I hope you're ready for a real good breakdown of the Cats and Horned Frogs. So, unless you wanted to get to it now or later. I don't know when you wanted to do it. Let's get to that in the next segment and get the breakdown okay. then. But I don't know if you heard, you probably did the conversation I had about where the conference sits right now in terms of uh, going into this weekend and really – what a big weekend this one winds up being in terms of some positioning, especially with Iowa State KU on the docket tomorrow. Let me tell you something. Jayhawks, upset alert. Uh, I, I think after watching what happened with KU in, in Oklahoma yes. uh, a couple of days ago, I think Kansas is vulnerable. They have been down in a number of games this season already at home. They just pull, you know, what Jayhawks do, you know, year in and year out. They win games in Allen Fieldhouse, which is not surprising. But, you know, they were, what, at the under four timeout or close to it. They were 10 points down. Yes. And then they storm back because Oklahoma only scores two points down the stretch. Uh, and it's crazy. And I heard you. Yeah, it is crazy that this game is going to be played on ESPN+. Plus. It's going to be just streamed. But the Big 12 only has the only two top 25 matchups in college basketball tomorrow. The other one, of course, being... 17th ranked TCU and number 11 Kansas State. 
but uh, I'm glad they're not playing at the same time because I think both games are going to be great. But I think the Jayhawks are absolutely vulnerable. Uh, not only vulnerable into this game coming up tomorrow against Iowa State, but also just vulnerable as a whole when it comes to are they going to win the Big 12 or not? I, I, I don't think they're going to be you know a 10-8 team by any means. But I'm just saying they are due for a loss at home. And Iowa State, who was dead last last year, could could pull off that upset. One of the things that stands out to me about KU is I just never have felt comfortable with what they're doing this year in that there's another lack of consistency, it feels like, from game to game in what they're accomplishing. Well, Jalen Wilson is a hell of a player. He's yes. going to be, you know, obviously considered for Big 12 Player of the Year. I don't think he's the best overall player in the Big 12. I've said it many times on the show. I think your front runner right now is Marquise Noel. Although, you know, Jalen Wilson has been at KU his entire career. He might get that, you know, lifetime achievement award. And, you know, the player of the year in the conference goes to Kansas and Jalen Wilson, who's been there his whole time. But it's it's not likely that a point guard usually wins conference of the year, player of the year in the conference. There's been maybe two or three, maybe four, since the Big 12 started in, in 1996. And Marquise Noel will have to try. The last two were Jayhawks. Mm-hmm. So... But Jalen Wilson's great. You know, K State tomorrow is going to see one of the best players in the in the uh, in the conference in in Mike Miles, who averages about twenty points a game. He'll be considered for Player of the Year award. But also with Kansas, you know, Grady Dick has has kind of stolen. Well, I, I I wouldn't say stolen. I, that's not the right word to use. I would just say in non-conference play, he is. You know, he has brought a lot of attention to himself because he's just an insane three-point shooter. Yes. Plus. There's so many things you can do with his name, and KU has been the first to realize that, and they have ran with that when it comes to marketing. But Grady Dick is an excellent player. I, I just got I, I just don't think KU is the best defensively. But with that being said, I mean Kansas won a national championship last year without being a very good defensive team. And in all honesty, you're right. Dick's game is shooting three pointers as much as anything. He is a defensive liability, as you would expect a freshman to be early in the season. Yeah, and I haven't watched the KU game in a while. I think the last time I caught it there playing NC State or whatever and, you know, catch them on the radio or whatever, but and I don't have the numbers in front of me. But, yeah, I just think, you know, Kansas is due for one, right? They just have the one loss. They, K-State, Iowa State, are both 4-0 in Big 12 playing. Nobody nobody predicted that. Nobody whatsoever uh, was thinking that those would be the, four te- or the three teams left undefeated in Big 12 play, especially this late. Uh, and I say late. I mean, they've played four games, but you're talking about the hardest conference in the uh, in the toughest conference in college basketball. The, t- the all ten teams have the t- ten toughest, yeah. hardest schedules to go that is uh, when it comes to the rest of the regular season. Yeah, it's insane. And but it's and again, but it's also not surprising. West Virginia's in a really tough spot, and they're you know they're winless to start Big Twelve play. I think, or maybe one win. I, I don't remember exactly, but um, you know, every player has a guy, or just about every team has a guy. That could be, you know, if they, if they have a great conference, they're going to win Big 12 Player of the Year. Everybody kind of has that candidate just about. Not everybody, but just about everybody. Coming back, Mitch delves into his thoughts about tomorrow's K-State TCU matchup in Fort Worth. Mitch Palm on the way next as we continue on the game. game 
continues on News Radio KMAN High School Basketball coming up shortly. Mitch is on hand in Topeka, in fact, getting ready for Manhattan to match up with Washburn Rule tonight in Centennial League action. Travion, let's give the man what he wants. <laughs> with tonight's tomorrow. prediction. Uh, man, what a game this is going to be. at Showmeyer Arena tomorrow, 1 o'clock, with pregame starting at noon here on KMAN. Number 11, Kansas State, 15-1 with a 4-0 record in Big 12 play. That's the Cats' best start in the conference in a decade. Meanwhile, Tex, uh, TCU, rather, number 17 in the country, 13-3 is their record, 2-2 two two in the conference. They've lost two in a row. Their conference wins come at Baylor, which was an impressive come-from-behind win. And they had a that corner three very late in the game to win it. And then a game that nobody watched on New Year's Eve in a win against Texas Tech, 67-61. Well, TCU, this is going to be their fourth straight game against an AP Top 25 opponent for the Cats. They're fourth of five for the last five games against a Top 25 opponent. But TCU... Did you know they only have 31 wins in its program's history against a top 25 opponent? 15 of those have come in the last six seasons under Jamie Dixon. Here is part number one of this TCU story this year. And what worries Mitch Palm the most over anything else, that is TCU in fast breaks. They are the best team in the entire country when it comes to fast breaks. They are the top team in the country, scoring 21.4 points per game in fast break. They're also second in the nation. Too high, uh, the second in the nation in that statistic is high point. I, I don't even know where high point is. I don't even know what conference they play in. Who's their mascot? They have 18 points per game when it comes to fast break. So TCU is by far and away the best team in the country with that category. The best team K-State has seen this year when it comes to fast breaks is Texas. And, yes, Texas was able to get out and score against K-State earlier this year with 19 fast breaks point, fast break points, but they averaged 15 a game. And also TCU, with those fast breaks, they do a great job of drawing fouls. If they're not scoring, they're drawing fouls, and TCU is able to get to the free throw line 22 and a half times a game. It's an insane number. It's top 30 in the country, and they're also 53% from two-point range. So they're going to drive on you in fast break or just when they run their normal offense they want to drive they want to get inside and score also a big reason for that due to the fast break not only well, not really due to the fast break but a reason they have a lot of fast break opportunities they want to score inside they're not a good three-point shooting team tcu really struggles from three-point range just 27.6 percent in big 12 play the thing is with their fast breaks, wanting to score inside, they only shoot 29% of the time from three-point range. Emmanuel Miller is one of their forwards. He's a good scorer, and he's also by far their best three-point shooter at 46%, but he only shoots it maybe twice a game. Maybe twice a game. Not very often does he shoot the three. Everybody else is under 34% from three-point range for TCU. Now, Emmanuel Miller does lead the Big 12 in shooting percentage at 59%. He is 8th in the conference in rebounding at 6 per game. Emmanuel Miller ranks 11th in the Big 12 with 14 points a game, and he's coming off a 21-point performance in a in a loss against Texas in a game where TCU led by 18 points 
and they blew that lead. That was in their last game. But rebounding is also a big part of this TCU team. They're one of the best rebounding teams in the country. They are the best in the Big 12 at offensive rebounds per game at 12.6. And I thought that was a big struggle for K-State against Oklahoma State. They're allowing too many easy offensive rebounds. Wasn't boxing out. Maybe too many guys in retreat when it came to one and done shooting the three ball. I, you know, TC, that's the thing they might be able to take advantage of is K-State's lack of boxing out and be able to rebound a little bit better when it comes to grabbing those defensive boards. Eddie Lamkin is really good for TCU when it comes to rebounding. Fifth in the Big 12 with 7.3 rebounds per game, and he leads the Big 12 and ranks 11th nationally with almost four offensive rebounds per game. He's a big guy. I call him Eddie no Kaz Lambkin because he has super small legs. But he showed great improvement in the NCAA tournament. That was a breakout moment, really breakout string of games for Eddie Lambkin in the NCAA tournament. Lambkin brings down 16.6% of TCU missed shots. That is a huge number. That is top 15 in the country. And also can't forget about Mike Miles. Mike Miles is the Marcus Carr of TCU. Marcus Carr plays for Texas. Very similar type of player, except for the three ball. He does struggle shooting the three at about 29%. But Mike Miles is still one of the best scorers in the Big 12. That's crazy to say, right? Because he's a he's a 6'2 guard that can barely shoot the three, and yet he's still one of the best scorers in the Big 12 at nearly 20 points per game. That does say a lot about his inside game, shooting from two, driving to the hoop and scoring. He is very good at that. He has scored at least 10 points in 18 straight games. And by the way, did you notice at the beginning of the year, he was voted preseason player of the year in the Big 12. So he is very good. Keys to this game, careful with the fouling. We already know K-State will most likely be without David Gasson, who's been seen in the boot, been seen on crutches. Yeah, probably not going to see him. So K-State is already, as we know, and they have been throughout Big 12 play so far, limited with the bigs, a team that likes to go inside and score or drive. you got to be careful with the fouling. Also, no silly turnovers. K-State had way, way too many silly turnovers against Oklahoma State. A lot of it was just bad passing, unforced errors. K-State made the errors on those turnovers. Well, the way TC likes to run, they want you to turn over the bar turn over the ball in a very silly matter get quick down the floor fast break turn defense into offense and score that would be a killer for k-state in a game like this ken palm says that the cats are going to lose this game in fort worth tomorrow giving k-state a 43 percent chance of winning by the final score of 74 72 i actually think the score is going to be pretty close to that i think ken palm has something going there but the ding dong has got it wrong when who's going to win this game. I still think the Cats get it done. It's going to be K-State's best start in Big 12 play, 5-0 and since Frank Martin's first year. I have K-State winning at a 54% chance in the final score of 72-69, to and that's Mitch Palm. By the way, High Point is in the Big South. <laughs> yeah, I had no idea. <laughs> I actually had to look it up. So, uh, no, they're in the Big South Conference, the Panthers of High Point, North Carolina. Hey, apparently they're a, a fast-break team. They're pretty good. They also force a lot of turnovers. So I don't know what that conference is like, but apparently High Point is high-pointing those, uh, those turnovers. There you go. Uh, 
don't know if that made sense. But yeah, yeah, it's something along those lines. It's a stretch. I know you heard the conversation I had on Mason's tweet of uh, a couple days ago talking about officiating. I uh, want to dig back into that and get your thoughts. Uh, I, I don't see adding a fourth official, and I don't see taking one away. But what about if we started to put limits on these guys from uh, going night to night to different places? I, you know, I, I'm one to give, you know, more than others, the officials the benefit of the doubt. I will say, however, um, you know, the, the game against Oklahoma State, I thought that was kind of a brutal game for officiating. I mean, oh, when you yeah. have an official right there and a player steps on the baseline and he doesn't even look at the feet, he's more worried about where the hands are when K-State is looking to trap. Uh, I, I think that's uh, I, I think that's amateur hour when it comes to officiating. Um I, I don't get on the officials as much as most people do. Plus, I also think a lot of people don't know exactly what they're looking at mm-hmm. when it comes to what's a foul and what's not. They don't know the style of officiating. You know, when you think there's a foul, but the ball goes out of bounds, sometimes instead of blowing the whistle and giving your player a foul, they just give the ball back to the team that it probably honestly went out on, but it went out of bounds because there was a foul. Um, so... No, no, I don't think a fourth official is necessary. I think that, you know, that's just clutter is really what it is. I mean, that, that, that doesn't mean the officiating is going to get better. That just means there's an extra person on the floor. Yeah, it would. It, the only thing that I could see it would help would be in terms of the tempo of the game because of how fast the athletes are now in comparison to someone who is older than me trying to officiate it. And most of the time, you know, I, I guess you know that's that's one argument. I guess I, I don't know. Um, just the way I look at it is, you know, a lot of the time there's just a lot of judgment calls, and I I, I hate the new charge flop rule or whatever. I, right. I think that's ridiculous. It, that's on the officials for getting fooled if a guy flopped or not, and it's super annoying that guys would used to get away with it or whatever. But for there to now to be a rule and even put a bigger disadvantage when it comes to what a defensive player can and can't do. A lot of these guys, it's such a new rule. A lot of these guys growing up, they were, they, they, some of them might have been taught, you know, if, take a charge, sell it, you know, get us the ball back, to, you know, flat back on the floor and make a play. You know, a lot of guys have been taught a certain way to play for so long that you're just going to take that away from them. That's just another disadvantage for a defensive player. I, I don't like the direction that it's gone, but adding a fourth official I think is silly. Um, and, you know, a lot of people get on John Higgins. Honestly, John Higgins is one of the – I think he's one of the best officials in college basketball. He's always, you know, refing late NCAA tournament games, Elite Eight, Final Four, National Championship games. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And uh, as much as anything, it's because he's seen every night. And, and I think that that is part of what turns people off is that they see him constantly on TV and he's an official and thus he becomes an easy target. Well, and it's also the hair. I, well, that well, used to yeah, be the, okay. the running gag. It's just he's it's, he's the he's the official with the hair. He's the one you can recognize the most. So are you guys wrapping up the show? He hit it. I guess. Uh, I guess we're not. My apologies. Are we out at forty? No, 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 no. We have to go. I no. But we're waiting on for him for ball again. No, we're, we're we still got four minutes in this JV game. So you guys got at least you know get ten minutes or so, fifteen probably. Oh, I was just basing it on the ad then. I'm sorry. Yeah. 
This, 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 is, this, this is what we get with the Come rookie. Come on, Travion. Rookie on the board. Rookie, oh, never mind. No, I won't do that to him. Um, you know, on that same note, though, I don't know if you caught it. Did you, uh, did you see who uh, gave, uh, speaking of hair, Bill Self a technical the other night? Did Higgins give him a T? No. It was, uh, and, I, and I forget her name, but the key point oh, there was that uh, Amy... Uh, it, Amy Bonner. Amy Bonner, thank you. But officiating the KU-Oklahoma game, she teed him up. And I thought that that was a great stride for ensuring that there's a lack of intimidation taking place. You cannot intimidate even the female ref in that rotation. I thought that was a... a Any? That, I thought that that was a, a nice statement for an official to make when she needed to. Well, and I I think Amy Bonner is maybe that official that might take the most heat more than anybody else I think I've seen on social media. I, sure. Uh, she's been at this level now for a couple of years. And I say, you know, this level, men's basketball level. She got the promotion a couple of years ago. Uh, but she had been coaching, or coaching, refing. Uh, women's college basketball for a long time. She was seen in Bramlage Coliseum many times for games, and I wasn't surprised. Neither was Jeff Mitty to see her uh, over a lot of other refs to get that promotion. But, no, I did not see that. But good for her. Good for her to tee him up in Allen Fieldhouse. She was ready to take that heat, and she had enough. Good for her to stand her ground. And, and that's what I say. Uh, you know, don't, don't let yourself be intimidated in the moment. And I think that there are some of the men's officials who could stand to learn that lesson in, the, in Allen Fieldhouse. But that's another argument for another time. In the grand scheme of things, uh, it, like I said, it was just an, a, a stride forward for when you're looking at things going, you know what, good. Because, yeah, we are going to see more female officials in our game as things progress as well. And another thought, you know, well, I'm, I'm watching this JV game and I hear these, you know, parents just yelling at these officials because there was, you know, one mistake or they disagree with the call. And I think that's just absolutely insane to be that kind of a parent and just trash these officials. But I, and I think even in the college game or the pro game, you know, officiating is an absolute scapegoat for a lot of people for their team being trash. Uh, it, it not, maybe not every night, but, you know, when your team's not playing well and. I'm confused, Travion. I'm confused too, I guess. You need to wait on him. Oh, okay. He's the one yeah, in charge. We, we st- <laughs> well, we still got two we still got two minutes of the game. We're not starting pregame until ten minutes on the pregame clock, so you we got time. You can still take a break and we still got plenty of time. You could do number two song of the day and there's still plenty of time. We we got a ways to go. Okay. I, I you know what, I didn't prepare myself for number two song of the day. I guess I could throw something together though real quick. Let's hit a break. Well, get ourselves organized. How about that idea? Sure. Okay. All right. It's uh, 20 in front of six. We've got high school basketball coming up yet this evening as Manhattan High takes on Washburn Rule. Let's get a number two song of the day when we continue here on the game. an interesting one to mix into the songs that never reached number one because it reached number one on one chart 
but didn't reach number one on the Hot 100. Now, Swick in the other room going, okay, that makes sense. From Lady Antebellum, a.k.a. Lady A, now. And I wonder if I ever cross your mind. Released in 2009, Need You Now. It did go to number one on the country chart. It's a quarter after one. I'm all alone and I need you now. And probably was one of the best crossovers that we've seen in a long time in country music moving over to pop in terms of holding the sound and climbing the charts. Swick may want to argue with me on this, actually. Just a little, okay, all right. I mean, it's it's better than anything Luke Bryan would get to cross over. <laughs> it did spend five weeks at number one on the Billboard Hot Country charts in late 2009. Ninth most downloaded song in history by April of 2011, moving five million copies by that point. And became the group's highest charting single on the Billboard Hot 100, meaning that it got to that number two spot, the best position for a country song on that chart since Lone Star's Amazed topped the tally at the beginning of the decade. Nine times platinum. Nine times platinum. One of the great things about being where I was previously was annually the Stampede, and when we talk country stampede here, it was one entity. The Greeley Stampede is a completely different beast in that it is anywhere from eight to 12 days, depending on the calendar. Concerts on the weekends, rodeos during the week. In other words, think Cheyenne Frontier Day's little brother. That That's the way to look at it. But when Monica and I were there, that stretch of 15 years especially, they were drawing artists as well as you would see at Cheyenne Frontier Days. The ultimate was this band performing on a free stage. Ahead of a Tim McGraw concert and then fireworks after the concert on the 4th of July. That was a day right there. That was a night to be in the park. And for good measure, it just has to be said, Hillary Scott probably wishes that she had worn a different skirt that night, but that's just, you know, it, it, it wasn't... Let's just say it was a little too short at times. How about we leave it at that? But a free stage, literally performing on a free stage ahead of a Tim McGraw show in Greeley, Colorado. But that is uh, what Lady A did uh, at that time. En route to putting together an album 
of uh, and really uh, three consecutive albums, if you will, of just great music. But the the key part of it, uh, the the best that they've had in terms of their hits, this song "Need You Now" reaching number two in 2010, late 2010, en route to winning four Grammys in 2011, including Song of the Year and Record of the Year. The only country song to win both since another band that changed its name due to, well, meanings related to the South. The Dixie Chicks. What time did you flash me there with the fingers, my friend? 49. I guess that means we need to be getting out. Okay. High school basketball coming up. Mitch is on hand for the call as tonight we've got for you Manhattan High girls and boys back-to-back matching up with Washburn Rule in Centennial League action. Wildcat Insider comes up Monday. The game's back in this spot on Tuesday here on News Radio KMAN.